0: growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's
1: always been the cross. It's always been the appointment with the cross. And the amazing, incredible thing about it is that this is an appointment that God has scheduled before He even created His creation. The Cross
0: Unarguably the single greatest historical event in the history of the world. It has been depicted in thousands of paintings, drawings, and sculptures. Millions of pages have been written about the cross. Movies have been made. Songs have been sung. Jewelry is worn, all depicting the cross of Jesus Christ. But there were, in fact, three crosses at Calvary that day.
1: Two thieves were crucified with Jesus. Uh, Two robbers, these three crosses. There is the cross of rejection, the cross
0: of reception the cross of redemption. Hello and welcome to a Palm Sunday edition of Crosswalk. Palm Sunday commemorates Jesus' final triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the events leading up to the crucifixion. Much went on that last week of Jesus' life before his betrayal and arrest. But as you'll hear Pastor Clay say in a moment, there isn't time to look at those events today.
1: We don't have time to look at the scourging that took place by the Roman soldiers. We don't even have time to look at Pilate's proclamation of innocence, and then a few minutes later, his pronouncement of death upon Jesus, his
0: cowardly act. We are going straight to the event that changed the world forever and gave hope to billions. Thanks for joining us today as we dive into Luke chapter 23 and take a look at the three crosses of Calvary. Now here's Pastor Clay.
1: This week uh, commemorates a palm, so what is known as a Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday uh, is uh, the, uh, the commemoration of the last week of Jesus' uh, life on earth before he went to the cross. Uh, it, it commemorates that, that day when he came into Jerusalem that was called sometimes the triumphal entry. And uh, palm branches were waved and laid down in front of him. And they're, they're, you know, yelling out, you know, hallelujah and hosanna and glory to God in the highest. And, and uh, it was this, you know, this great uh, moment. The triumphal entry. Uh, and one week later, Jesus would be nailed to a cross. A lot happened uh, during that week. There was a lot that went on. Uh, but we simply do not, let's be honest with you, we simply do not have the time uh, to look at it. Uh, today. But we don't even have time to look at the last meal that the disciples shared together in the upper room before Jesus' arrest. We don't have time uh, to look at his uh, anguish and agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't have time to look at the illegal arrest that took place at night and the false and illegal trial that took place where he was ridiculed and uh, beaten and his parts of his beard were ripped out and he was spit on by the religious leaders. We don't have time uh, to uh, look at the scourging that took place by the Roman soldiers. We don't even have time to look at Pilate's proclamation of innocence and then a few minutes later, his pronouncement of death upon Jesus, his cowardly act, after pronouncing him innocent. We don't have time to look at any of that today. Uh, We must go today straight to the cross. There were, in fact, three crosses. And we're going to take a look at each one of them today. The crucifixion uh, took place on this hill we know, most of us recognize, as Calvary. We call it this hill called Calvary. Songs have been written. On this hill far away stood an old rugged cross. This this hill called Calvary. The word comes from the transliteration of Latin phrase, Calvaria. It means skull or a skull. The Greek would be cranium, from which we get our kind of medical term cranium. The Aramaic term was Golgotha or Golgotha. However a person would choose to say it, it it meant a skull. Now, the New Testament doesn't tell us why it was called that. Some have speculated that it was that it was called a uh, skull or a skull that it was called Galgatha because there was a, the shape of the hill was in the shape of a skull. And, and there have been those who pointed out that there is a hill outside of the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem that resembles or is in the shape of or has a, some facial features that resemble a, a skull. It's possible that it was called that simply because it was a place of death. It was a place of suffering. It was a place of of pain. In the same way that poisonous materials are sometimes marked with a skull and crossbones. It was a place of death. You don't want to go to this place. It was Calvary. It was a place called the skull. Now the place where Jesus was crucified, Calvary... And the place where he was, his sentence of death was pronounced upon him in, in, uh, in Pilate's praetoria, in his, in his area where Pilate would have pronounced this judgment on him, is probably only a few hundred yards from one place to the next. But the road to the cross was a long one, time-wise. You see, all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to the book of Genesis, did you know this? All the way back to the book of Genesis, already there, God indicates that the cross is on the horizon. After the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, God says to Satan, he indicates to Satan that, that one is coming who who you will bruise his heel, is the way God puts it. In other words, you, you will inflict pain on him, but the text says, but he will crush your head. Already there, the shadow of the cross was... Looming, The Old Testament prophets spoke about the cross. The psalmist in Psalm 22 describes the cross in amazing detail. 700 years before the event took place. Even at Jesus' birth, in the book of Luke, this this elderly man named Simeon makes reference to the cross of Christ when he says this. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul" he speaks that to Jesus mother mary uh, indicating to her the pain that she would experience at the death of her firstborn child it's still at this point it's still 33 years away but already the cross is on the horizon the shadow is already beginning Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, there's so many examples of this where you can find, we can turn in the Gospels and find that Jesus just flat out tells his disciples, hey, I've got an appointment with the cross. I I cannot imagine him being any plainer, any clearer than he was in Luke chapter 18 when he says this. He says, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all the things which are written through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, all those things are written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles. And will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. It's the cross. It's always been the cross. It's always been the appointment with the cross. This uh, quote. Uh, I want to give you from Michael Wilcox says, The cross dominates the prospects for Jesus It is like a landmark on the skyline On which his eyes are fixed And towards which however winding the road He constantly moves Jesus' whole life He has been traveling the road to the cross It is, it is the path It is the plan it Is what God has for us And the amazing, incredible thing about it is that this is an appointment that God has scheduled before he even created his creation. It's astounding. If you have a copy of God's word with you today, open it to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're going to be working through verses 39 through 46 and looking at the three crosses of Calvary. Because you see, there were in fact three crosses at Calvary. That day, there was Jesus, and there were two um, criminals, thieves, or robbers, as you might refer to them. In the original language, the term robber would indicate this idea one who uses violence to rob openly. Luke chapter 23, verse 39 one of the criminals uh, who were hanged there, was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, meaning the other criminal, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Let me walk uh, with you through this morning as quickly as we can these three, what I'm referring to as these three crosses of Calvary. Uh, First one is is this there is the cross of rejection, what I call the cross of rejection. In verse uh, 39, again, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not Christ? Save yourself and us. We know from the text, uh, from what I just read and from all the other gospel accounts, we know that that two thieves were crucified with Jesus. uh, Two robbers, two criminals, and that uh, they they were on either side of Christ. Which meant that they both had equal access uh, to the Savior. They both could read the sign that Pilate had ordered placed above Jesus' head... uh, above the cross. Jesus of Nazareth. Here's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They both could see it. They both could observe him uh, as he was suffering and going through what he went through. And this man has, has lived his life his way. He's done his thing. He's, 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 he's lived it on his own terms. And he has, he has no intention, apparently, of understanding or, or feeling who this might be on the cross beside him. He, he begins to ridicule uh, Jesus mockingly, uh, is the way the gospel writers kind of bring it out, mockingly say, well, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. How ironic that he didn't realize that it was by staying on that cross that he was accomplishing just that. It was by staying on that cross that he was securing salvation for any and all who would place their faith in him. The, the crowd is, the crowds, you know, they're, they're, the religious leaders got them going, they're mocking, they're jeering. Certainly some of them were. And this guy joins in with it. Maybe he thought, man, if I, if I, if I, if I go along with this, uh, the religious leaders, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna think that that's good, I'm taking their side in this. Maybe he thought that somehow he could escape his fate if, if he, I mean, it, it wasn't hard to figure that Jesus is the main attraction of this, right? It wasn't, everybody knew. Jesus was the main attraction of what was happening. So maybe he thought that somehow if he, if he could ridicule and make fun of him and do all that kind of stuff, that maybe they'd take uh, pity on him and, and he could be rescued from this. Maybe he just wasn't happy with the way his whole life had gone and the way it was ending. And now to have to go through all of this, maybe he was just mad and angry at, at ha- how his life had ended up and he was taking it out on Jesus. I don't know. I've, I've known people like that, haven't you? People who, who didn't give a rip. That's probably not a theological term. But people who didn't give a rip about God their whole life, lived their, lived their life, did their thing, don't care about God or what his plans or expectations might be for their life. But when something happens, when some adversity comes, when some tragedy comes, when some, some, something bad comes into their life, it is amazing how all of a sudden God is to blame for what's happened to them in their life. But for whatever the reason, uh, this man uh, chooses to make his cross the cross of rejection. He wants to have nothing to do with the Savior of the world. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson was a man like that? I I, don't think I've shared about him before, but Thomas Jefferson was was a great statesman and patriot. Our our nation owes much to Thomas Jefferson, that is for sure. Thomas Jefferson was a man who who believed in in freedom and, and very passionately believed in religious freedom. Thomas Jefferson believed uh, very uh, strongly in uh, the teachings of Jesus. He, he loved the idea of, of, uh, of uh, love and compassion and treating other people the way you would want to be treated, a, a, a teaching of, of Christ. He, he loved those principles and those ideas, and, and, he, and he believed in them. He, he believed in Jesus, the teacher, but he did not believe in Jesus, the Savior, he did not believe in Jesus as God. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson wrote his own version of the gospel? He took a compilation of all four of the, of the gospel writers. He took out the parts that had miraculous events in them because Jefferson considered himself a man of science and a man of science could never believe in the supernatural. And he took those events out. This is how Jefferson's gospel account ends. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. And there laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. That is the end of Jefferson's gospel account. Now, I will remind you that the word gospel means good news. Please tell me the good news in that message. It is the cross of rejection. Don't want to have anything to do with it. Look at this... uh, from uh, William Sicker. He was, a, I think, a 19th century uh, British minister. L- listen to how he, boy, he speaks some truth. He said, Some have tears enough for their outward losses, but none for their inward lusts. They can mourn for the evil that may come upon them, but not for the evil that comes out of them. Pharaoh more lamented the hard strokes which were upon him than the hard heart that was within him. Esau mourned not because he sold the birthright, which was his sin, but because he lost the blessing which was his punishment. This is like weeping with an onion. The eyes shed tears because it smarts. In other words, there, there's no remorse. There's no recognition of my own sinfulness or my own responsibility in these actions. No, no, this is, this is something that's happened to me. This is, I couldn't possibly be responsible for this. It's the cross of rejection. I, I don't know. I, I prayed a moment ago, I don't know where you are. I don't know where people are in the whole thing. But I would pray to you that you would not die on the cross of rejection because I'm telling you, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's, whether it's in your bed, whether it's in a hospital whether it's in a car crash, or it doesn't matter where you or I meet our end if you die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're dying on a cross of rejection and that is a tragedy but here's the second cross to look at this morning it is the cross of reception the cross of reception, y'all with me? Can y'all say that? The cross of reception. Okay, look at it. Look at uh, verse uh, 40. Uh, But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you uh, not even fear God? This is the other thief, right? He's on the other side. Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, the interesting thing about this, of course, all four of the gospel writers record this and record that there were two thieves. But did you know Matthew and uh, uh, Mark, I think, uh, both record that that both uh, thieves originally were ridiculing Jesus? Both of them originally started out ridiculing Jesus. But something happened along the way as this man perhaps read the inscription and began to absorb what that could possibly mean. As this man observed Jesus and, and the injustice being done to him and the way he handled that, that situation in his life, that adversity, that, that, that travesty of injustice that was occurring in his life, the, way he, the words that he was speaking, whatever it was, it began to turn this other uh, thief's heart He began to change and he does, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or not, but he he does in essence present what we, most of us in evangelical circles have come to refer to as the sinner's prayer. He, he, He just, it's almost verbatim. Look at what he does. First, he admits his own sin. It's the first thing he does. Look, look what he says. Look what the verse says. He admits and sin. "We are receiving what we deserve for our deeds." He admits his own sin and and the just punishment that he's receiving. We are receiving. Our, this is what we've done our whole life. We've 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 abused people. We've stolen. We've robbed. We've we've harmed. Whatever all we've done. He says, "Man, we're getting exactly what we deserve." He admits his own sin. That's that's a that's a crucial component of. of what we refer to as the sinner's prayer. When a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they have to acknowledge that they are a sinner separated from God. Not only does he admit his own sin, but he acknowledges Jesus' innocence in this whole thing. Look at what he says. This man has done what? Nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. So he admits his own sin, he acknowledges, which is part of, of coming to Christ. his understanding that it's the sinless son of God. That went to that cross. And then finally, he announces his belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, he says this to a guy that's, that's suffering the exact same fate that he is, right? I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to say to somebody who's suffering the exact same fate as you. You're not going to say to somebody that's dying right beside you. Hey, hey! Remember me. He's essentially calling him king. Remember me when you come and you king. You're not going to say that unless you've come to the realization this guy is more than a carpenter. This guy is more than a man. And that cross, that day, that moment, literally became the cross of reception. I, I read a story years ago about uh, a man that was raised an atheist, who uh, had aspirations of being an Olympic diver. He was in college, and uh, he had he had virtually no spiritual influence in his life, except for one friend. He had one friend that was sold out for Jesus Christ, unashamed of the gospel, and he was he, he was he was never afraid to to get a word in for Jesus and what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus could do for him. He was always and quite honestly, the the aspiring diver atheist honestly paid little attention most of the time to the guy, but. He heard it a lot because he was talked about a lot. The diver, in this account that I read, this young diver at his college decided to go one night by himself down to the university pool. It was an indoor pool and to practice some diving by himself. It was at at night. He went in the building. The lights are off in the building. Um, but the building had these big skylights in it that uh, would let light in from the the moonlight, and so it was enough for him to get around and see. And somehow it helped him to, in his twisting and diving and stuff, to actually kind of do it in kind of subdued light like that, supposedly. So he ascended to the the di- pla- diving platform to dive, and was getting ready to dive. And he got to the edge of the uh, the diving board, and, and I guess he. he Turned around and as, he did, and, and he put his arms out to dive. And when he did, the, uh, the the there was enough moonlight coming in through the skylights that that his his shape, his form, cast a shadow uh, that looked like the cross on the wall. Uh, behind him and as the story goes that the instant that he did that all of all of that friend's words came rushing into his mind and under conviction of the spirit of god in that in that moment tell you only god can do this kind of thing but in that moment instead of diving off the board he fell to his knees and he asked jesus christ to save him from his sins and all the mistakes he'd made in his life and whatever all he said i don't know but but he trusted christ in that moment as his savior and that that diving board literally became a, a cross of reception for that young man by the way, i never forget this in the story. And maybe this is why the, the story was, was, sticks out in my mind. In the, in the story, when the young man f- finished praying, he, he stood to his feet. And just as he stood to his feet, a uh, maintenance worker came in uh, to do some work at night. And he turned the lights on in, into the building. And the young man looked to see that the pool that he was about to dive into had been drained for repairs.
0: Whoa. Oh. Yeah. It, it, it,
1: it's, a, it's a diving board. It's a... It's a gym it's a pool it's a no it, it's it's the cross of reception any place a person would recognize their need for the savior and be willing to say god i need you word of god uh says this in romans 10 9 that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead say it you shall be saved Is a present continuous tense verb you shall be saved this is what god did in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them. I'll come and become a part of their life and they're adopted into the family of God. It's the cross of reception. I am of the belief that the cross of reception is open to anyone and everyone who would be willing to receive it. I don't know in your life. Probably most of you here, maybe not all of you, but perhaps most of you here have trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Can you remember where you were at that moment when you accepted Christ as your Savior? Were you maybe you were an adult, maybe you were a teenager, or a kid, whatever you were? Can you remember where you were? Can you, can you remember that place when you, when you said when you suddenly realized, oh, it's not it's not just about religion. You see, and if you, some of you know my story, you know I grew up in church. I, I could give you all the Jesus answers. I sure could. And if you said, oh, you, you believe in Jesus? You believe he's born of the Virgin Mary? Absolutely. You believe he died on, on the cross? Yeah, absolutely. But can I tell you this? I hadn't been to the cross of reception, not until I recognized my own sinfulness, till I was willing to admit it and acknowledge uh, uh, Christ's sinlessness and accept his gift of eternal life. Uh, in that moment, uh, in, my, in my early mid-twenties, I received Christ as my Savior. And I was, as Jesus told Nicodemus, we evangelical get slammed for this sometimes, but I was born again in that moment. That's what what Jesus told Nicodemus had to happen in our lives. It's the cross of reception. Have you been there? Have you been to the cross of reception? Do you know that you know that Christ is your Savior? One more, uh, look at this. There is also the cross of redemption. It's the one right in the middle, of course. It's the one that makes the cross of reception possible. In verse 43, it says, And he said to him, Uh, Truly, I say to you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. That's what Jesus said. Today. Today, in that moment, you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Christians have traditionally pointed to this verse as the evidence that at the moment of death for the believer of Jesus Christ, their spirit goes to be with them in the presence of God. It goes to be in the very presence of God. In Second Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul uses the word heaven and paradise synonymously. And Jesus says to him, this day, this moment, you'll be with me in paradise. It is not an exaggeration to say that literally, for both of these men, the cross was a crossroads for their eternal destinies. And this man received Christ and, and it was made possible because of this cross of redemption, because Christ was willing to suffer and die. Text says that uh, darkness fell over the land. Isn't it ironic that darkness fell upon the land? So that the darkness of sin could be lifted from the earth. Isn't that something? Some people have tried to explain this uh, event away by saying, well, it was was just a natural uh, solar eclipse that took place. Quite honestly, that would be impossible because Passover is celebrated during full moon when the moon is opposite the sun. This was not natural. This was supernatural. This was nothing less than God in the flesh paying for the sins of the world on this cross of redemption. Cindy and I went to see uh, The Case for Christ this weekend, the movie that opened this weekend. Uh, Went to see it uh, Friday night. It's the story of Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee Strobel was a journalist. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Uh, And he was uh, an avowed and affirmed, uh, staunch atheist. And uh, coincidentally, <laughs> Lee Strobel's wife comes to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And she gets, she gets all Jesused up, right, And it is from his, in his opinion. She has gone wacko. She has lost it. And being the journalist and kind of being challenged by a, a co-worker, uh, Lee Strobel uh, sets out to gather evidence and to prove that Christianity is nothing but a sham. And if you don't know Lee Strobel's uh, story and, and, and you're going to see the movie, I, I, I don't want to ruin it for you, but spoiler alert, Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel discovers the evidence of the cross of redemption. He finds out the truth about the cross of redemption. It is on this cross that salvation is made possible for the entire world, I, I believe, for the entire world, that any person... Can, be saved. When uh, when I was in when I was a young, pretty young boy, I was in school, and I I, uh, I liked this girl named Betty Hart, and you know she was popular and she was pretty and and she pretty much paid no attention to me whatsoever, except there was a period of time there was like about a week when it seemed like she was she was paying more attention to me. She actually said hello when I rode by her house on my bike with a banana seat and sissy bar. And so, and so, one day I got up the courage to say, "All right, this, this is it. I think I think I think Betty's in love with me." Says, "Come on, guys, y'all been there. You know." So so I I wrote a note. I wrote a note, a classic uh, elementary school note. I love you. Do you love me? Check the box yes or no and I made a yes box I made a no box and uh and I I gave her the note I remember I don't remember whether I gave it to her directly or I gave it to a friend to give to her or something and I waited all day anxiously awaited I mean whew, it was taking a long time too I was there some evil plot afoot to keep us apart somehow or I don't know what's going on finally at the end of the day I was waiting in, uh, in the line for the school bus to get on the school bus and a girl comes up to me and she hands me the note and I didn't look at the note right away. I got on the bus and I was sitting on the bus and I opened the note and uh, Betty had, had checked neither one of the boxes. She wrote another box uh, and checked it and just wrote, no thanks. <laughs> 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 Boom. What does that have to do with the three crosses of Calvary? I, I, I was thinking that God has written us a very simple love letter. And it reads like this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting, eternal life. I thought about the times in my life, maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can relate to it even now, I thought about the times in my life when I essentially said, no thanks to God. I'm so glad He didn't give up on me. I'm so glad the cross of redemption was there and made it possible for me to receive Him as my Lord and my Savior. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of uh, the, the Battle of, of Waterloo that took place in Belgium, 1815, I think it was. you are familiar with the story? <laughs> the Battle of Waterloo was, uh, it was the final battle, uh, really it was the end of the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte's reign in Europe, of France and, and Europe in, in general. Now, there was no telegraphs or telephones or televisions in those days, of course. But everybody knew that the, that the British uh, commander, the British general, uh, was facing uh, Bonaparte, Napoleon, in near this village in, of Waterloo in Belgium, I think, where it took place. Wellington was going up battle against him. And and the way that information was transmitted in in those days when a battle was going on, because all England is waiting in this, because the the future of England and and the European continent in general hangs in the balance on how this goes, whether Napoleon wins and continues his expansion or whether he's once and for all uh, defeated. And there would be flagmen, uh, apparently, at the battle scene who would had colored flags that they would use to write out words Uh, to signal words to another flagman who would be over on the next hill or whatever. And this is what they did all the way, uh, and it wasn't too far, but to the Belgian coast. And then off the coast uh, in the English Channel was a ship. And the ship uh, had a flagman, a signalman, and he would receive the signals. And then he would signal to a flagman on top of uh, uh, I think Winchester Cathedral on the coast of England. And then from there, it would be relayed all the way to London. That's how it happened. And so uh, at the end of the battle, and everybody knew this battle was going on, everybody knew the future of Europe hung in the balance uh, with Wellington and, 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 and Napoleon and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the battle, uh, the signalman uh, signaled the message, began to signal the message, and the ship signalman received the message, and he signaled the first word of the message uh, to, the, to the signalman on the coast of England. So he sends the first word, and the first word he says is Wellington. And he uses his colored flags and he sends the second word, defeated. And as as soon as, as, as the story goes, as soon as he got the second word transmitted, this thick fog rolls in to the English Channel and completely engulfs the ship. Wellington defeated is the message that went out all over England. And as the story goes, all of England was in deep despair and fear and uncertainty because Wellington was defeated about 2 hours later the fog lifted and the signalman was able to send the third and final word of the message wellington defeated enemy and all of england as the story goes all of england suddenly erupted as as they received the message in absolute joy because what they thought what they thought was this horrible terrible defeat actually was a great victory 2,000 years ago, on a hill called Calvary, it looked like, it looked like the message was Jesus defeated. But three days later, and we, we can talk about this next week, three days later, the fog lifted, and the message was clear. Jesus defeated the enemy. And all the world should rejoice at the reality of that. I I, I started... This whole thing, I, I mentioned to you, I said to you at the beginning of this thing that uh, Jesus was crucified between uh, two thieves, two robbers. And, and, and if you may have wondered why, but I, I said at the beginning that uh, the word robber essentially means one who uses violence to rob openly. So I think that means that, in fact, three robbers died that day on Calvary. Two criminals, but three robbers Because Jesus robbed death of its sting, he robbed the grave of its power, and he robbed Satan of his victory. Hallelujah, what a savior.
0: Indeed, hallelujah, what a savior. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. His cross truly became the cross of redemption for all who would turn by faith to his sacrifice. But as Pastor Clay showed us today, there was also the cross of rejection and the cross of reception. One man rejected Jesus Christ as his Savior, but the other man saw his own need for the Savior and his belief that Jesus was dying, in fact, so that that man and all men could be saved if they would turn to the cross of redemption. As you heard Pastor Clay say a few moments ago, which side of the cross are you on? The cross of rejection or the cross of reception? That is the most important question you will ever answer. God made it possible that no one has to die on the cross of rejection. Our prayer is that you would know the redemption that Christ purchased for you. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Rollins. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.